Have you heard of the book or the blog, Humans of New York? If you haven't, do yourself a favor, go to Instagram and start following in Humans of New York. It's actually a number one bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list that's starting, I think, this week. Humans of New York. There's a guy named Brandon Stanton who just took his camera and walked crisscross New York, taking people's pictures, getting them to tell them him their story, and then he would post it on his blog, a picture of someone and a little bit of their story, like a paragraph or two. Fascinating awesome storytelling. I'm just, I'm incredibly impressed with this guy's ability to tell a great story. Let me just give you a few examples in case you haven't seen it. Some of these may be familiar to you if you do follow it. Like this guy, dog walker in New York. He said one day he was, he was a maitre d' for like 15 years in a restaurant. He was homesick with pneumonia. He was watching. He said one day I saw a motivational speaker on TV saying, think back to what made you happy when you were young. That's what you should be doing. He said, well, I grew up in the country. I always had a lot of dogs, so I thought nothing would make me happier than being a dog walker. I've been walking for dogs for 14 years now. He said, I'm the Pied Piper of dogs. <laughs> I can walk five dogs in one hand, five dogs in the other hand, and I can tell you which dog needs to poop. The thing I love about this is when you see someone just passing you on the street, you have no idea their story, how maybe incredibly talented this person might be. Like this lady. This looks like an ordinary person. Listen to her story. I can take your immune system, transplant it into a mouse that I've genetically engineered to have no immune system of its own so that I can model the genetics of your immune system and find the immunoregulatory defects that will determine how you're going to respond to cellular therapy needed to treat your disease. Okay, where's Lydia Kahneman? Lydia and Dr. Souter the only, and, and Tracy. In, if you're a nurse, you understood that. The rest of us are like, what? That came out of her. All right, how about this person? All of us have aspirations and dreams like this little boy. He said, I want to be a lawyer when I grow up, but a defense lawyer. I'm much better at defending people than I am at accusing people, but I would only defend nice people. <laughs> I like that. And there is a lot of wisdom in the people of New York, like this grandma. Grandma wisdom is awesome. Look what she said. I got a message from God the other day about how to solve the world's problems. We've got to send all the world leaders to play on one of Trump's golf courses. Then while they're gone, we replace them with grandmas because nobody ever got invaded by a grandma. <laughs> this has to be, this next one has to be one of my favorites of all time. He likes when I give him hugs. <laughs> Any of you who have a big sister, you understand this. And that poor little boy. Mm. What I've been reminded of as I followed the humans of New York and just read these stories is like everybody's got a story. We have lots of stories. Our, our lives are composed of stories. Story after, we are wired to love stories, and so that's why this is such a fascinating thing for so many people. As I follow this, I've shared with you just the positive stories, but there are also a lot of stories that are shared that are painful. I don't know why people bear their soul to Brandon, but they do. They talk about things that they regret. They talk about some of the most painful things that have happened in their lives. And as I've read those, too, I've realized... There's a lot of things in people's past that are hard to get past, if you know what I mean. Maybe you can relate to that. There's a lot of things in your rearview mirror, things that have happened to you that you hate or things that you've done that you regret, and, and you think about that, and maybe it replays in your mind. In fact, that's one of the things the original identity thief uses to steal our identity from us is our past. It's the whole series that we've been in, Identity Theft, has been based around that idea of spiritual identity theft. We got the idea for this series from a guy named Mike Bro. He's a pastor, wrote a great book called Identity Theft. You can read it if you'd like to. And the, the idea of this series has been 
what is it that Satan does to take our true identity away from us? If you've missed any of the messages in this series, I want, this is not self-aggrandizing. I really think it would be helpful to you to go back, get the podcast. You can go to connectionchristian.org, you can go to iTunes, get these messages because I think they will be helpful to you making sense of who you really are because we need to get this idea firmly in our mind that, that Satan has actively endeavored to take your true identity away from you. And he'll do anything he can to do that. In fact, Jesus called Satan at one point the thief who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy people's lives. And he, unfortunately, is so good at that. He takes people, us, we've been made in the image of Almighty God. We bear God's image, and he convinces us of a lie that says, you're not good enough, you will never measure up, you will never be okay, God will never, ever forgive you for that, you can never get past that, and he just preaches these lies into people's ears over and over and over to the point where people buy into it. And so this is about what we are learning in the series, and the idea through the whole series has been, if you base your core identity on anything other than who God says you are, your identity's already been stolen from you, whether you know it or not. So the whole premise of this series has been going back and figuring out what does God say about those who follow Christ? What does God say is true about you? Starting to learn from this book what God says is true and embracing that as your true identity. It's such an important thing to do. You know, for a lot of people, again, as I say, you may judge yourself and base your identity on something that's in your past, in your rearview mirror. I like how Pastor Mike Bro said it. He said, For some of us, the belittling or hurtful parental judgments hammered into us as children continue to play again and again in our adult minds. He says, for other people, their past behavior results in shame or guilt and creating this identity that can entrap us long after those behaviors have stopped. In both cases, the past can distort our self-image, substituting a false identity for the one we were meant to enjoy. And I like how Mike Bro calls that. He says it's being pickpocketed by your past, and it needs to stop. Hopefully today, and as you've listened to this series, you start to hear the voice of God, and you tune into what he says is true about you. You tune into what God says he can make you, despite the things you've done or that you've been or have been done to you. What can God do in your life? I think that'd be most important to get a hold of, don't you? So that's what we want to do. We want to not be paralyzed by our past, but move into the future, move into the identity that God has called you to. You know, this book right here, it tells us the truth about our identity. It tells us about God's plans for us. It tells us our future hope in Christ. There's a lot of truth here. This is why I want all of us, and I encourage you constantly to engage in this every day. Even if it's just 5, 10, 15 minutes, because you need to hear the truth. You need to replace the lies that are constantly being preached at you. Now, I want to, uh, I want to take you to the real life story as we close this series out today of someone who had their life changed. They had their whole identity changed by God. They had a past. I, I love this. I have like a new way of thinking of the Bible now. I think of this as like the humans of the Bible, <laughs> just filled with stories of people's lives and what God has done in their lives. I want to take you to a guy named Paul. Uh, we think of him often as we call him the Apostle Paul. He's a great Christian man, but he wasn't always. So if you've got a Bible, if you would turn to 1 Timothy, it's toward the end of the Bible. If you've got a, a Bible app, it's 1 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to know this. The Bibles that are on the table as you come in on the guest table, I want you to have one of those. I want you to be able to say, I actually have a Bible. So please take one of those. So you're looking for 1 Timothy toward the end of the Bible. 
And Paul is going to be um, talking in this. This is actually a letter that we have included in the Bible. Paul wrote it to a young protege of his named Timothy. He was a young pastor. And Paul is writing some encouragement to him as a pastor, as his mentor. And one of the things Paul does in this letter is he opens his heart. He kind of takes his shirt off onto his T-shirt and says, here's, here's my past. I want you to know some things about me that used to be true. So let's just go ahead and dig into this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, start down here in verse 12. Paul said to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me even to be his servant. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, God's shown me mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I'm going to stop there for a second. I just want you to know something. If you are embarrassed or ashamed of some of the things you've done in your past, you're going to want to hear what Paul said about himself. Paul said, you know, before I became a Christian, before I met Jesus, before I gave my life to Christ, I was not a nice person. You might be thinking like, okay, this is the Apostle Paul. What's his version of not a nice person? Is it like a little road rage on 364? Did he get mad at a Roman who passed him too fast in a chariot? What's going on here? Really, Paul? You know, I, I know what you mean. You, your version of not nice is probably our version of it was fine. No, Paul was actually pretty a, a pretty indecent person. Let's go ahead, and I want to give you a little bit of background on, on Paul. And to do that, I'm going to take you to another portion of the Bible, the book of Acts. So if you're in 1 Timothy, you just go back. Acts is a book of history of the early church. It's how it started, how it began. I want to introduce you to Paul, where the Bible first introduces Paul. Chapter 8, or I'm sorry, let's go back to chapter 7 of Acts. Verse 59, let me set the context. We're in the middle of the first Christian being killed for his faith, a man named Stephen. He was a leader in the church. He preached about Jesus, and people didn't like it. They took him outside the city of Jerusalem, and they killed him by throwing rocks at him until he died. It's in the middle of this that we meet Paul. Verse uh, 59. So while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. He died. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Saul, same guy, Paul, Saul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. He's there. In fact, what we find out a little bit earlier in this is the guys who were going to go kill Stephen, they went to Saul and said, here, hold my coat. And and Saul's like, yeah, go get him. Verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Not done yet. Going over just one more page to chapter 9. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still mur- breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that is, they were Christian, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I'm going to just go one more further, just a little bit further with me. Go to Acts 22. At this point in Acts, Paul is a Christian, but he's remembering and he's recalling what he used to be like. And this is Acts 22, verse 4. Paul said, I used to persecute the followers of this way, the Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Not a nice guy. 
Paul says, you think you got a past? Check out my resume. I used to hunt down and kill Christians. Paul, aren't you a Christian now? Yeah, but that's not how I always was. Go back to 1 Timothy. Hear those words again. Paul said, I once was a blasphemer. You know what he means by that? He, uh, he denied the deity of Jesus Christ. He forced Christians to deny their faith in Jesus. He said, I was a persecutor. He used physical force to try to oppose the work of God through the church. He literally opposed the work of Jesus by killing Jesus' followers. He said, I was a violent man. Now, that word violent man there, it literally means that he saw himself as a bully. He was proud and insolent. He liked to throw his weight around. He was haughty. He thought he knew everything. You know people like that. Paul was that guy. He's the know-it-all, the braggadocio, the guy who likes to use his authority to hurt other people. That was him. Think about it this way. When the earliest Christians thought about Saul of Tarsus, when they thought about Paul, they thought about him the same way we think of Jihadi John. You know who Jihadi John is? The guy with all black and the black thing, and he's cutting people's heads off right now. That's, that's ISIS. That's Al-Qaeda. That's Jihadi John. I don't know what that was. But that's how Christians thought of Paul. He's the guy who kills Christians. He's the guy who puts women and men in prison. He's the guy who makes sure that Christian kids don't have parents. How does God take someone who was a Christian killer and turn them into a Christian preacher? How does that work? Back to 1 Timothy. Look down at verse 14. Paul continues his thought. I used to be a blasphemer. I used to be a persecutor. I used to be a violent man. But the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he says, check this out. I want to read this from the New Living Translation. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everybody ought to accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said this about himself. I'm the worst of them all, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in Jesus and have eternal life. It's like, look, God took the worst sinner he could think of and made him a Christian so that anybody look at me and go, well, if he can make Paul a Christian, he can make me a Christian, he can make anybody a Christian. If he can do that for Paul, he can do that for anybody. That's, that's who he was before he met Christ, but that's not who he became. When you, when you write in Greek like Paul did to Timothy, he was writing in Greek and using Greek letters. There's a prefix you could put on a word if you want to make it a, like a lot of something. And it's the same, we have the same prefix in English, hyper. What does it mean if a kid's hyperactive? It means you don't want to teach them in class, right? <laughs> How many of you are hyperactive or are hyperactive now? Your spouse is going to tell me, so that's okay. Yeah, hyper means a little too active. What about hypercritical? No elbows. You know? What does it mean to be hypersensitive? The person who just elbowed you is tired. You're just too sen- hyper means too much of something. Paul literally wrote to Timothy, I was a hyper sinner. I was the worst. But then I met Jesus. He literally had a come to Jesus meeting on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus, and everything changed in his life. Paul said, Look, I used to 
I know how ironic it is. I used to hunt down and kill Christians, and then God called me and said, I want you to become one of these Christians, and I want you to teach other people to become Christians. That's what God does. I think that when I think of Paul, I'm, I don't think I'm understating this. I think Paul is the single most influential Christian in human history. None of us in this room right now would be Christians without the Apostle Paul. Uh, that's a whole other sermon, but I'd love to trace that out for you, how the church got to us. It's through Paul. Paul, the guy who used to hunt down and kill Christians, is now the person who's led and through his writings has influenced millions and billions of Christians. I just think that's amazing because God takes a story that may have been filled with pain and regret and he changes your story for the future. He redeems your past. He does that all the time. Just a great story I heard from a guy named Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor at Life Church. They've got a bunch of campuses, and he said he was out preaching at one of their extension campuses one Sunday, and the service was literally going on when a drunk guy came into the service, came up on the stage. I mean, like, it's literally in the middle of service, and Craig's preaching, and this guy walks in. He's like, I got a problem. Yeah, buddy, you sure do. I need some help. Yeah, you want to go sit down? No, I, I need somebody to pray for me. Okay, that just happened. We're going to do this right now? So they pray for, what's your name? Well, uh, Gary. All right, Gary, well, let's pray with Gary. And everybody, and they just kind of stopped the service. They were very graceful. They didn't embarrass the guy. They prayed for Gary, obviously intoxicated Gary. And uh, Craig, then he left because he was just there to preach that one Sunday. But he got word through the church that Gary kept coming. And they kept loving Gary and teaching Gary, and he learned about Jesus. He accepted Christ. He was baptized. It's a great story. Craig was back, I don't know how long later, a year or two later, and he was he's in the four before church starts. And he's asking some of the guys, he said, hey, where's that, that, that drunk Gary guy? Gary was in the foyer, and he heard him. And he says, hey, Pastor Craig, I'm right here, but I'm not drunk Gary anymore. Now I'm sober Gary, and I love Jesus. Isn't that a great story? God takes people like drunk Gary and he changes their story. And it doesn't matter what this past was because his future could be different when he met Jesus. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's an awesome thing that God does. He says, I'm not worried about your past as much as I am about what I can make you into. If you are a sinner here this morning, awesome. You qualify to follow Jesus. That's exactly who Jesus calls to follow him, are people who are messed up. You know, if you're thinking like, I don't even know what I'm doing in church today. Why did I come? Well, because Jesus wants you to be here. He likes you. He wants to do something different in your life than what you've experienced before. All right, I'll give you another example. I know I'm going way back here. Some of you will remember this. Some of you will remember this from history class. Anybody remember Watergate? Anybody ever remember reading about Watergate because you weren't alive when it happened? You guys don't want to admit that you know what Watergate was. Well, back in the 70s, there was a president named Nixon who did some really bad things, and we called it Watergate. Now, Nixon had to resign, but several of his closest advisors went to prison because of some of the bad things they did in Watergate. One of them was a guy named Charles Colson. He was special counsel to the president. He'd argued cases before the Supreme Court, but he was not a nice guy. His own words were he would run over his own grandma if it would get him ahead. And somebody asked him, you really say that? He's like, yep, do you mean it? Yep. Chuck Colson was not a nice man. On his way to prison, somewhere between being convicted and spending time in prison, somebody got a hold of him and started telling him about Jesus, gave him a copy of something C.S. Lewis wrote, and he was reading it. 
Chuck Colson had a genuine conversion experience. He came to the Lord. He became a Christian. Did he go to prison still? Yes, it wasn't to get out of going to prison. But Chuck Colson's life was changed. From that point forward, he got out of prison, but he went right back because he wanted to go preach to prisoners and to, to reach out to fellow inmates like himself. Spent the rest of his life doing this. It became a huge ministry for him. I love this quote. He said this at one point later in his life. He said, the paradox in my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who've been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize the thing that God has used, chosen to use in my life is not any of the successes, achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases before that I had before the Supreme Court. It's none of that. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and I went to prison. That was my great defeat. The only thing in life that I didn't succeed in. And God took that thing from his past that should be embarrassing and shameful, and God used it to write in, into his story and make some huge differences in other people's lives because Chuck Colson was al allowing God to rewrite his story. You know, I'm saying this because I think maybe God brought you here today to hear this, that your past is not nearly as important as what God could do with your life if you'll surrender it to him because he can rewrite your future too. And your past does not have to control you. You can be beloved by God, saved by Jesus, called to a new life, given a purpose and a direction and a focus that you never had before. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't need to hear this for you. You need to hear this for someone in your life that you've given up on. Don't do that. You keep praying for that person. You keep asking God to give you an open door. You keep watching for the open door to talk to this person and say, look, God can make your life different than it has been, okay? I'm going to give you another quote. I just, I, I just love this thought. Dr. Carl Henry said this, the church leaders of the ge next generation are probably right now still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would become the great apostle to the Gentiles? Who knew that God would raise up a C.S. Lewis or a Chuck Colson? They were unbelievers who, once saved by the grace of God, were mighty warriors for the faith. And then Russell Moore takes it a step further. He says, for all we know, the next Billy Graham might be passed out in a frat house right now. Think about that. No one would have ever guessed that drunk Gary or the Apostle Paul or Chuck Colson could be changed, but they all were. I got two final things I want to share with you. Give me just like seven more minutes, okay? Because I want to make this practical. I want you to actually embrace this for yourself. I hope that this is going to be helpful to you. Look this up in the Bible, First John chapter 1, or just write it down and look it up later. It's up on the screen. 1 John 1, 8, 9 says, If we say we haven't sinned, we're just fooling ourselves, and the truth isn't in our hearts. But if we confess our sins to God, he's always able to be trusted to forgive us and to take our sins away. So here, here's my first encouragement to you. Just admit your past to God. Just get honest with him. Find somewhere quiet and just get very honest and real with God. It's not like you're going to surprise him. Like you're going to say, okay, God, you know, I've done this, this, and this. And he's going to be like, what? I never knew that. You did that? Really? Oh. Are you really going to tell God anything he doesn't already know? There's something helpful to you, though, to confess it, to put it into words. And then God says, look, let me help you. Write a new ending to your story. Let me just, you know, I don't know if you remember this or if you were here for the first message series. I asked you to take a piece of paper and start writing down things that you find in the Bible that the Bible says are true about you when you are in Christ. 
Can I just give you a few more scriptures to add to that list? Or if you haven't been doing it, here's a great day to start. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22 says, God said this, I've swept your sins away like a cloud. I've scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Return to me, for I've paid the price to set you free. Psalm 103, 12, God said, How far has the Lord taken our sins from us? Further than the east is from the west. Romans chapter 8. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And I love this verse. This is one you should memorize. And I'm serious about that. If you can't quote this verse, this would be a good one to lock away in your memory bank. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Great thought. That's literally what happens to you when you become a Christian. Your old self is gone and you become a new person. And you spend the rest of your life learning to, to own that and to lean, lean into that. That's the truth. So you've you got to admit your past to God. But I would also encourage you to own your story. Own your story. Own your new story. And understand this. It takes time. One of the things I like to say about us here at Connection is that we accept each other while we're changing. We don't expect everybody to be perfect on day one. It's kind of like little babies when they're learning to walk, which some of you are getting ready to experience for the first time as parents when your baby starts taking those first steps. Some of you have just kind of gone through that. Some of you as grandparents, you know. What is that like when you watch your baby trying to walk and their head is like three times larger than their body, so they're like all top-heavy, and they got that huge diaper and those little wobbly legs, and they're trying to walk. Have you ever seen a parent when the child has tried to take a first step and they, they fall and they hit that diaper, you know, bang? You ever seen a parent yell at their kids, scold their kids for not being able to walk with that first step? Call DFS. Now, that's a horrible parent. No, no parent would ever do that. You encourage them and you cheer them on and you just, you know that this is the first of many steps they're going to take. And you know that you believe in them and you just want them to do that. And that's how God feels about you when you become that new creation in Christ. He's encouraging you every step of the way. You are not what you are going to be. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way as you learn to embrace and own this new story that I'm giving you. You got to own it. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, and by the way, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to say this. There is no sarcasm intended in this. Who are my Cubs fans here? Last week, I was going to congratulate all you if I was here. And uh, I'm sorry. I really do. I hope for next year for you Cubs fans. I really, I was, I say a lot of mean things about you Cubs fans. So there you go. That's, now I'm done. Now we're back to the old way. <laughs> but the Cardinals had a great year this year, didn't we? Until, the, until we met the Cubs. But uh, I think one of the reasons the Cardinals did so well this year, among many, has to, you have to say Matt Holliday did his job. I don't know, do you remember that Matt Holliday used to play for the Colorado Rockies before he came to the Cardinals several years ago? So uh, Matt Holliday played for, I think, like five years at uh, Coors Field in Denver. And I just wonder if it was a little bit weird for Matt Holliday when he first came to the Cardinals. After being so long in a different city, like when you've lived in a city that long, he probably could drive to Coors Field in his sleep. He knew where all the, the, the good parking spots were. He knew the playbook and how the things work in, in the Rockies organization. He just, he had that inside out. Now he comes to St. Louis, and there's a different way of doing things. He took off the purple and the black, put on the Cardinals red. You ever think whenever we play the Rockies, Matt Holiday kind of gets a little feeling in him, like, maybe I could just go out there and play for the Rockies tonight, just for old time's sake. 
think Mike Matheny ever says, hey, Holiday, why don't you go bat for them? You know, just for good old times sake. You feeling like a cardinal tonight, Matt, or are you feeling like a Rocky? Which one is it? No. no when, something changed when Matt Holiday came and joined the Cardinals. A transaction took place, and he took off the one, and he became the other. And his identity completely changed when he put on that cardinal red and started doing things the cardinal way. And no longer does he think about how do the Rockies do things and what do I do. His, his, his loyalty changed. And I wonder if maybe some of you can kind of relate to the struggle of that. When you, if you are a Christian, when you became a Christian, do you still feel a little bit of a pull to the old ways? I mean, you could drive to the old places in your sleep, the old ways of doing things, and you know you shouldn't, but you kind of find yourself there anyway. Something changed in your life when you became a Christian. And God gave you a new story. And it's time to start leaning into that new story and owning it. And here's the thing that God does with you. He's patient. But God doesn't stick his finger in your face and say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. What God says to you is not, that's not what you're supposed to do. God says, that's not who you are anymore. I mean, I understand that old habits die hard, but let's start learning the new way to live because you are a new person. I gave you a whole new story, a whole new identity. Let's lean into that together. I want you to live forward, not backward. Dr. Brene Brown, we heard her, Brian and Aaron and I at a conference a couple of weeks ago. She had a fascinating quote. I want you to hear this, and I want you to think about this. Brene Brown said, when you own your story, you get to write the ending. Or I would say God writes your ending. The second you deny a story, it owns you. When you became a Christian, God bought you. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. So honor God with your life. Own your story. What are you going to do with this now? I'm going to pray for you in just a second. I want you to be thinking about what God's calling on you to do as your next step. Is there something in your past that you just need to let go? Something you need to confess to God? Something you need to get over and let the bitterness go? What do you need to do to own your story that God has given you? You pray with me. Father, thank you for bringing us together here today. I pray that people who are hearing this are hearing you and that they're hearing the truth of what you believe about us and what you've made us and what you've called us to be. I pray that we would live these new lives and to learn to say no to ungodliness. I pray for people who are far from you that they would realize that all you want to do is have them come home to show them unfailing love and I pray that we would say yes to whatever it is you're calling on us to do. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.